Hey everybody, welcome to the Design of Experience. Apparently, it is by design. 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 Experience. Experience. It's all good experience. Conversations about the ideas that make us feel a tribal devotion to the things we love. We are back with episode eight. We are going to talk about this idea of acceleration and iteration today. Software updates on our devices are happening all the time. The usual way of doing things is just waiting to be disrupted by the invention of something as a service. And the concept of personalization and right now is table stakes in so many industries. Gone are the days where software was purchased on a disc and you could easily be a few years behind. And many times... That was pretty much okay. So there's this feeling that this fast paced, constantly improving nature of the tools and services we use every day is made possible by many factors, the least of which of course is amazing technological advancement. But the one that we wanna focus on right now, um, especially brought to mind by Matt and a lot of the creatives and what we've been working on is agile workflow. Now. Don't run away. We are not going to break down what it is and have yet another conversation about whether we love it or hate it. We just want to dig into how this change in workflow in whatever industry you're in has allowed such a fast paced iterations to take place. And in turn, how all those fast paced iterations have created even more demanding expectations from all of us, and maybe without even realizing it. For a long time in the world of numbers, man has been developing tools to help him handle increasing amounts of data. Something has now emerged that might make even our most elegant theories workable. So you're saying we're going to talk about agile workflow. Well, yes, but Matt has a favorite quote that I think really brings this to life. Bring on the Marshall McLuhan, Matt. You know what I gotta say, guys? I looked up the quote today, and there's some argument about who said it first. Was it McLuhan or was it Winston Churchill? But the quote is, we shape our tools and thereafter our tools shape us. And what's cool about this is that apparently it also, there was a version that said, we shape our buildings and afterwards they shape us. So who knows where it came from? I like the building one better, actually. And I think it's very apropos to what happened to everyone around the globe. We were used to marching to buildings or driving more often and entering that building and working with other people in the last year. That's been blown up, right? So the buildings did shape us. They shaped the way we work. Now we are in a completely different environment. We're all separated and it's a perfect time to adopt some agile workflow ideas because guess what? Now that we're working all the time, clients are expecting us to work faster and to be available outside of the typical nine to five thing. So I think that's a social reality we really need to consider. And Matt, I mean, just since we're kind of playing around with this, the tools shape us, the buildings shape us. There is a lot to say there. And one of my favorite thinkers slash designers that Steve knows I bring up all the time is Ilsa Crawford of Studio Ilsa. 
something she said in an interview and it's that I've always been fascinated by how buildings affect us and can change behavior, how they can change the way we feel and how we do things. I see clearly how some spaces create a feeling of freedom and other spaces do the opposite. So there is something there for sure about we create things and then we have to step back and see how they affect us. And what we're going to talk about today in this episode is about how this idea of an agile workflow, however you want to define it, because it's evolved so much since it's first being spoke into being. But there's something about us creating a workflow and then having to take a step back and understand how the results of it then affect us, especially we think of it like as designers, you know, how do we implement it? And then how do we have to continue to work with it iteratively? But I think what we'll get into towards the middle or end of the episode is about what it does to us as just regular humans, expectation wise, how we think about things um, without even realizing it. So we're then affected by the own system we've created. So um, Matt, if you could just kind of indulge me in like um, set the stage behind the scenes in our daily work. There's two major mindsets of how to go to work every day. Sure. Uh, there's waterfall, which a lot of people cling to. And uh, I have a very colorful description of it. I call it shit runs downhill. Um, and it's basically the concept that everything is linear and that any dependencies at the end of a project need to be defined up front and then rigidly held throughout. And if there is a change, well, guess what? Water runs downhill. Typically, it's considered a change order. It's a massive deal. Uh, people freak out. So Agile was created by a bunch of software folks, right? And the concept was just change is constant. And we have to be agile and react to it. We have to work together and not freak out over these things, right? So you found a quote, agile is the ability to create and respond to change. It is a way of dealing with and ultimately succeeding in an uncertain and turbulent environment. I mean, that's true of life. So I think part of our argument here is that as things have changed in the way we consume media technology things like shopping that has encouraged people to adopt an agile workflow right because the one of the biggest principles of it is quicker time to market let's concept something let's work together and when changes do come up we'll adapt to it knowing that we will release a version an iteration we'll see how it does in the marketplace we'll learn from that come back to it revise it and it's you know sort of an endless cycle so i think marketplace has influenced uh work styles and work styles have enabled sort of this acceleration that we feel in our daily lives yeah and so on that note something that is easy just i want to make sure that these two concepts are solidified in in people's minds when you think of waterfall, it's one of those things that you may have never, it's ne never been defined for you, but it's just the way that you're used to working. So it's kind of like if you think about building a house, it has to go in a certain order. The foundation has to happen and then the framing can happen and then the electrical and the plumbing and so on and so forth. Um, 
And it has to happen in that order. So it's not like everything can take on an agile workflow because you can't work on the roof before you work on the foundation, unless maybe you're doing a prefab house and you could work on those different pieces. So maybe I just corrected myself. But there's like a commitment to a process and you're right that change is a little more difficult. My confusion around agile versus workflow is, you know, I understand that agile allows us to sort of keep iterating simultaneously on various parts of a project, but then there has to still be milestones and, you know, sign off. And no matter how agile you are, you can't be changing the project like the day before it's supposed to ship. I don't know if that's what agile is, is it? Hopefully those changes will happen and be dealt with before the day before you ship. It's funny you mention that because I've talked with other developers and they say to me, ours is the only industry where we have to be agile. And it's a complaint, but they specifically have said, you know, if you have someone come build a house and you change your mind about the roofing type, they're going to say, oh, well, already bought it, putting it in tomorrow. Tough. So... There are parallels, but I think Agile really works well with things that are more intangible, virtual experiences, things where you can release them via the net. And it happens all the time. An app gets released, there's a bug, nobody caught it. A week later, they have a new version in the App Store. And Matt, speaking of that, something that allows us to do is create a stream of constant improvement, which is interesting to see how that kind of originated with software. But then because that expectation has been created, it starts to seep into other areas of our lives. So for example, I feel like the whole field of user experience has kind of always existed. We just didn't call it what it was. Like just the concept of making products or services or experiences better for people is where UX comes from. And it doesn't have to be applied to a interface design or an app experience. But the idea of constant improvement being a possibility in internet or digital-based products or services, that is when I feel like the field of user experience really took off because the idea that you could constantly monitor analytics, get customer feedback in a much less expensive way than ever before, and then bring it to your developers who are dedicated to putting the user's needs first and being able to iterate and push out. That's when we accelerated into this more iterative process. And with that, you and I become accustomed to the idea that the product should always be amazing because if people are being paid every day to work on some product or service and constantly iterate and constantly make it better, our kind of tolerance for mistakes or poor experiences really starts to drop because we're being served in such a way that we're being put at the center. And then I feel like that expectation seeps into so many different experiences and people are trying to catch up like grocery stores. When did we ever think we could order our groceries and have a curated, customized grocery experience. Yeah, it's true. And it's funny that you use the word serve uh, because I think there's a direct correlation to restaurants, right? If a restaurant launches and something goes wrong and they don't adapt to it in an, quote, agile manner, they will die very quickly. Word will get around and nobody will go. You know, whereas if I go to a restaurant and, you know, something's a little off and I have a positive human interaction experience, I'll give them another chance. And when I go back, if it's 
much better that time, then I'll keep going. It's the same thing with apps, internet experiences, shopping online. If it makes my life easier and I see that you're constantly changing things, not in a bad way, but improving things, then I'm more likely to stick with it. Steve, you had talked about this idea of iterative, fast-paced content and marketing, and I think you had some kind of like mixed feelings and maybe even not yet solidified perspectives on how it has seeped into marketing. Well, there is talk out there now about agile marketing. And the idea is, yes, for sure, plan out your year, have your big kind of epics or your big rocks, you know, your campaigns and your themes even, but then things happen. You know, a product release gets delayed by your portfolio team or the market shifts under your feet. A message that you put into market didn't play so well. And I think agile marketing is the idea that you don't put too much stake in any one piece of collateral or any one big campaign. You put a bunch of stuff out there and you watch it and you see it and you keep tweaking it and you pump the stuff that's working and you pull the stuff that doesn't. I think about a company like Geico, you know, will save you 15% in 15 minutes or less or however many minutes they say it is. And that's their big value prop. But, you know, they've got the uh, woodchucks chucking wood and the guy singing the songs and they've got the cavemen and they've got the gecko and they've got all these different campaigns that are running at the same time hitting different demographics performing differently and you know the ones that take off and become huge hits they invest in and the ones that fizzle they just pull them and don't overthink it and i wonder if that's you know something that every company could learn something from keep the content coming, have a plan, but be willing to be flexible and be willing to continue to iterate and, you know, kind of cycle through stuff and don't overthink anything in such a way that slows you down from getting it out there. I don't know where the sweet spot is. Some of us maybe miss the days where content had to be considered a little more carefully, had to be curated, had to be tested, vetted before it was released. A week or two ago, we were talking about this idea. And Matt, I think you brought up the idea of when we have this more fast paced, you know, let's see how it does type mindset, especially in in marketing with content you put out on whichever channel you choose. Is it possible that subconsciously we equate time and effort with meaning. For example, it takes such little effort for anyone, whether an individual or an organization or a corporation, to put out a tweet or a blog post or an Instagram post. And it takes so much more effort for a book to be published or for a masterpiece of music to be composed. And is there a correlation in our minds about meaning and value with effort and time to put together and post? And are we kind of living in that tension where we have clients that want to put a ton of effort into something like a post of any kind, yet that effort doesn't really correlate with how we would receive it as individuals or consumers? The electronic calculator has already become a tool upon which much of our daily activities depend. A tool which has broadened the range of man's concepts and intuition. With the computer, as with any tool, the concept and direction must come from the man. The 
task that is set and the data that is given must be man's decision and his responsibility. I hate the word unpack, but there's so much to unpack there. The Twitter verse is supposed to be fast. I do think there's a danger with this acceleration. And it's partly because for me, it harkens back to futurism, which was an exciting art movement, but it was also deeply embedded in Italian fascism and Nazism. It was this glorification of the machine, early 20th century. And at the same time, there are two different branches of what's called accelerationism happening in contemporary philosophy. One is far left and one is far right. As marketers, and I know this is getting a little esoteric, but as marketers, I think we live somewhere in between. I think we get pulled in different directions. We need to be fast. We need to be quote unquote agile, whether we're using an agile workflow or not. But what's the cost to society when you're engaging in that? The designer must be able to state precisely what it is he needs to know. This is not always so easy. He must formulate a general plan of procedure. This plan or program takes the greater part of all the time involved. Here's another question to stir the pot and consider. And I brought this guy up before, but Massimo Vignelli. He is the designer behind many objects and things that you probably recognize, but most notably the National Parks maps and the New York subway. Now, I haven't researched him enough to know if this was out of arrogance or out of brilliance, but those designs have been the same since their first inception. The New York subway was a notable project and it obviously gets front and center because it's the New York subway. And if you saw the system they had prior to it, you couldn't even call it a system. It was a hodgepodge of insanity and it was a miracle that anyone could navigate the subways. The national parks, also very cool if you collect all those brochures and see the signage, it's been the same forever since his inception of that design. But like I said, I don't know if this was arrogance or brilliance, but he said, you know, good design lasts. There are obviously really good benefits of the ability to go fast and to iterate quickly and to perfect user experience. There are fantastic experiences we have because of that ability. But is it possible that there's a bit of getting caught up in the need to make everything adaptive and everything iterative that we can't pause and say, this is good and it doesn't need to change. And I'm not saying I'm resistant to change by any means because things need to evolve and change and adapt. But you have pieces of design, like I said, the New York subway or the national parks maps, or you have certain pieces of modern furniture like the Eames chair or the Parsons table that are just good as they are. And they were really thoughtful pieces of design. And because they last, we associate them with a lot of reverence and meaning. And are there things today that we just automatically, by default, apply this iterative design process to, and we don't stop to think it's finished? I think there's a problem when you're moving too fast. People want everything very quickly and they expect magic, whereas long lasting design, things that are classic and have permanence, take time to think of and develop. So, is a tweet that happened last Thursday going to be remembered in 30 years? Maybe not, unless it's really radical. Probably not, because of the medium, 
right? There's always a question of if we're moving faster and faster, what gets lost? And I think thoughtfulness does. I think something that's interesting to consider is that this quote I pulled ahead of time for this episode is another one from Elsa Crawford. I've been studying her work and thinking and methodology lately. She says, the more our lives become digital, the more we crave the physical. At first glance, you might your first thing you might picture is like your life on a weekday, sitting in front of a computer, cell phone notifications, etc. And then you think, yes, I want to retreat to a yurt in the middle of the woods. But actually, another way to think about that is when it says the more our lives become digital, I'd ask you to consider what it means as far as your expectations and your pace. And have you paused to think about that pace and how we contribute to the pace in our workflows, but then we also have to experience the result of that? And what does it, what does it mean in that sense to, to return and crave to the physical? I think of you know a morning that may not even have the technology of the alarm clock, because even that is pointed to as one of the great accelerators of time, ironically, because prior to the alarm clock, we went through different rhythms. And then all of a sudden, I forget what it was, but they called it like the great dictator of the sun or something like curse the sundial. <laughs> we now know what time it is. But I, I don't know. It's just a very, especially in, in the COVID world that we live in right now, and we're all already becoming very reflective and analytical of our daily lives. I think pace and realizing that the pace we experience is the result of a system we've put into place. The calculator is helping to define society's most complicated problems. It is a tool for turning inspiration into fruitful prediction. As an information machine, it has done much to broaden the base of our growing concepts. I'm answering a question I think we asked earlier, which is, does constant improvement also mean constant irrelevance or constant obsolescence? Are we always moving on to something new and therefore moving away from something that might have been true? Something new instead of something true. And it's borne out in some of the, you know, all the studies that have come out that show the increasing levels of disengagement people feel, increasing amounts of loneliness, isolation, even though they're constantly connected and always devouring the next little piece of information that comes their way. Maybe that fast pace keeps you from ever dwelling on what's good and then holding on to what's lasting and being willing to stick with it. Getting too wrapped up in the digital world in any kind of accelerated experience of life pulls us away from what makes us human. So I think that quote about wanting the physical makes complete sense. And for years, people have said phones are getting in the way of that human conversation. It's so true. We need to keep that distance and be able to say, hey, great, this is what I do during the day. I love creating things. I like helping companies and getting things out there. But it can't be an unending onslaught. We need balance. We really do. If you go and look for the original principles behind Agile, there was an Agile manifesto that was very thought out by the original creators 
of this way of working. I encourage you to go look at them. Just Google Agile Manifesto. If you found a website that looks like it's from 1997, you're on the right page. And there's 12 principles behind it. But the one I find the most fascinating is that the most efficient and effective method of conveying information to and within a team is face-to-face conversation. They knew that to do their best work, they had to be together. And I understand that we can't all be together right now, and it's not saying this is the only and best way, but these people who their goal was to put the customer at the center of whatever experience they were creating, they knew and acknowledged that that constant iteration and teamwork meant being together. Well, I, I think it's fair to say the agile dudes who wrote the manifesto probably weren't thinking about the situation we're in right now. I think the best and closest thing, and I've felt this because as a company, we get on Zooms and we see each other. It is so much better when I am looking at the client through the screen. It's not the same as being in person, but it's better. And I have some clients who I've never seen and it's a little strange. And at a certain point, I wonder if I'm going to say, hey, could you just turn your camera on for one minute? I mean, look at me. I am not looking great today either. (laughs) We can be human together. All right. Good talk, guys. Good talk. Good talk. Cool. Cool. See y'all. Signing off. The Design of Experience is produced by 15.4, a creative agency located in Charm City, Baltimore. Produced by Emily Wolf, edited and engineered by Sam Otto and Josh Frisch, with story and creative development by Matt DeVille and Steve Smallman.